Scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for this morning, for this opportunity to worship you among our community. I thank you for everyone that you brought here this morning. I pray that, that you would be with us and that you would speak uh, through Kevin this morning. I, I pray that we would be able to take something away from the message this morning uh, and that we would not walk out the same as when we walked in. It's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Good morning, Aletheia Church. Thank you guys for being here. Um, I can always tell when some of the campus ministries have retreat weekends. Uh, so, especially this side, I think, is where most of the crew kids sit. So, for those of you guys that sit in the back, sorry for n no seats being in front of you guys, uh, being empty this morning. So, uh, I, I want to give you guys just a, a quick announcement. Um, today, after service at 1230, uh, we have like um, an emergency covenant member meeting. Um, if you're already a covenant member, please plan to be there. Um, if you have been uh, a faithful part of the church for some season and are just wondering what the heck I'm talking about when it comes to covenant membership or for whatever reason, if you haven't signed and joined as a covenant member yet, we would love for you to be there as well. But we have an announcement to make uh, at 1230 today, and so we would really appreciate your presence there. It's only going to take probably 10, 15 minutes, so please plan to attend, and then you can run out and grab lunch afterwards. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, that's where uh, Timon read from us earlier, and that's where we're going to be this morning. And, and as you're turning over there uh, this morning, I have a question for you, uh, especially uh, our younger people, our college students, and our, our recent grads, uh, and those who um, may not be in Gainesville uh, a couple months from now. But I, I want you to answer this question for me kind of internally. How many of you guys would consider Aletheia Church to be your church home in this season. All right, so just, okay, so most of you guys are raising your hand. Good. So just kind of think through that. Now, how many of you have given serious consideration to what you're going to do after you have moved from Gainesville in regards to where you're going to serve faithfully as a member of the body of Christ after you leave here? I want you just to, to ponder that for a second. Think about what you would look for in a church once you leave here. So just take a second, think, like what things come to your mind as you think through what you would look for in a church once you leave Gainesville? I'll give you a second. If you're a note taker, write down what you, what you have. Okay, now, for those of you guys that wrote down answers, let me, let me ask you this. How many of you wrote down something to do with elders or leadership in the church? Two hands. Right? Because that, that's not what we do. Right? When we think about, hey, what church am I going to get involved with? What church am I going to serve in? What church am I going to be a, a part of? Uh, we tend to, to think about all sorts of, of different things. Uh, you know, and, and so what we're going to see this morning in the text, though, is Peter is going to address these churches that he's written on the importance of what the church should look like and what... Uh, responding to church leadership should look like as well. It's going to kind of focus in on the importance of, as a church, knowing our place within the context of the body of Christ. And guys, when I use the word church, I don't mean this dilapidated building that we meet in where, uh, you know, the hanging ceiling may fall on you or at any moment. 
or, uh, you know, the tiles that are coming up all around us at any given time because water has literally come through the floors of this building on a Sunday morning. For some, anybody here that weekend that we had water just coming up from the floor? Yeah, a few of you guys are shaking your, yeah, raising your hands. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it, right? Slip and slide right over here on the right side, right? You know, I'm not talking about a building. I'm referring to you. The, my brothers and sisters, the, the bride of Christ, right, followers of Jesus, right, working together for the glory of God. And so when, when we look at this text this morning, we see Peter talking about the importance of what the church should look like and how we respond to leadership. That's what I'm referring to. Not a building, not a program, not a place, but the men and women of God following after him. And specifically, how that looks like in the midst of suffering for the gospel, what should Jesus' church look like, and what should the leaders of Jesus' church look like? So, now I want to remind you guys of the context of this entire discussion in chapter 5. For those of you guys that were here last week, Pastor Daniel did a wonderful job of talking about suffering, which if you guys have been here, you've noticed, that's a consistent theme throughout 1 Peter. Suffer well, suffer for the glory of God, don't be surprised by it. There's just this consistent theme that Peter is trying to drive home to the church, and Pastor Daniel reminded us of two kind of key things last, right, last week, right? The first one was this. Jesus relates to us in, in our suffering, meaning anything that you walk through, Jesus understands and can relate with you. And we said that we know that because he suffered far more in, unjustly than, than any of us ever have or ever will, meaning that we don't have a high priest interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father who doesn't understand cancer, who doesn't understand betrayal, who doesn't understand family problems, who doesn't understand sin. God understands all of those things because Jesus suffered unjustly for the unjust. And so Jesus can relate with us and walks with us, right, in our suffering. But the second thing that Pastor Daniel made sure that he drove home last week is that we can rejoice as we share in Christ's sufferings. You know, the body of Christ has this unique ability to walk through difficult seasons and yet rejoice. And we've said consistently from the stage, at least, as we've been preaching through 1 Peter, that that makes God look amazing. That when the people of God can walk through persecution and suffering and yet still declare the glories of Jesus and their trust and hope in him alone, that looks strange to an unbelieving world. And so Pastor Daniel said, we are able to rejoice in Christ's sufferings and that it shouldn't surprise us when we suffer, but instead it shows us that we're blessed because suffering glorifies God and pushes us to trust him more and look more like our Savior. I think one of the things we try to do as a church typically is avoid suffering as much as possible. Right? And I, I, tell, I joke about this all the time from the stage, but I tell you guys, I know this is true because everyone in here owns a microwave. <laughs> Every one of us. It's like, man, I could have my meal in 20 minutes or 30 seconds. Give me the 30 seconds. Right? Every one of us, right? If we have a headache, right? We're popping an Advil. Right? If we're, if we're having a, a bad day in the car, we're screaming at somebody. Right? Every one of us can relate with this idea of trying to avoid suffering and not have to deal with suffering. Yet, right, what Peter said last week is that suffering by design causes Jesus' church to look more like him, and in looking more like him, give him the praise and glory and honor that he's due. And that's why we're here, guys. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning. It's why we scatter and gather throughout the week. It's why we witness to our neighbors. It's why we get up and pray and read our Bibles. It's because we seek to make much of him. And so I want to read verse 12 from last week to you guys so that we understand kind of the context of what we're walking into when we get to, to chapter 5, verse 1. Look at what he says. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, hey, look, in, in Aletheia Church, I need us to understand something. 
right? If we walk through seasons of persecution, whether here in Gainesville or in other places, either personally or corporately as a church, right, we should not be surprised by that. I think there's some ba bad theology that gets thrown around out there by the church that tells you that if, if you suffer, it means you lack faith, you don't have enough faith, you don't trust God enough. No, consistently throughout the scriptures and specifically from the mouth of Jesus, Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, be ready to suffer. Be ready to lay down your life for my good news in the kingdom of God, right? Be prepared and ready to do that, right? And so Peter says, look, you guys shouldn't be surprised. We, we told you when you began following Christ, church, that, that this was going to come, that your family might reject you, that the government might reject you, that you might lose positions of prominence in culture and society around you, that to be prepared for these things, don't act as if it's strange. But then when you get to verse 17, look at what he says. He says this in verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God, right? And so Paul kind of, Peter kind of wrapped up this idea of suffering well by saying when the time of judgment comes, it's going to start with the people of God and suffering is a way in which God refines us and shows us that his spirit is in us and we are his. And that when the time of judgment comes, it comes first to the church, but then it moves forward. So here we have a church right, or multiple churches that Peter is writing to, going through trials and suffering, and Peter is potentially promising more to them. He's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's like, look, you guys, I, I know that it's been tough. You should actually be prepared. It's going to get a whole lot worse, right? Buckle up. And he says this, that he's going to give them some practical observations on how the church body goes through that together to honor and glorify Jesus, right? So the five verses we're going to look at this morning are going to be broken down into two parts. The first four verses are going to focus in on elders and leadership and what godly leadership looks like inside of a church that suffers well. And then verse 5 is going to be kind of his proclamation to the church body as a whole. And that's where I actually want to start this morning when we look. I want to start with verse 5, and I want to work my way back to those first four verses. So look at verse 5 with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he says there, starting in verse 5, he uses that word likewise. And if you just take a second, if you've got a phone, you can scroll up. Or if you look up in your Bible a little bit, he starts out uh, verse 1 in the ESV by saying so. Some of you guys may have another translation that uses the word therefore. But anytime you see these words used throughout Scripture, what the author is doing is he's reminding you that anything he's saying right now in the text is in regards to something that happened earlier, something that he had mentioned previously in the text. And so when Peter says to the church as a whole, likewise, submit yourselves to the elders, right, what, what he's doing is he's saying in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, here is what the church should look like. Here is what we should be doing as the body of Christ. And he mentions two things that, that we as a whole, the body of Christ, the men and women, right, followers of Jesus should be doing. He says, be subject to the elders, and then he says, be humble. Now, I, I want to I pause for a second and remind you that Peter's not just writing to one church, that he's writing to multiple churches, right? And First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 1, he's writing to churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Right? Those are some of the churches that we know for sure that this letter that Peter wrote was supposed to go to. And so there was an understanding that multiple churches in the first century were elder-led churches. And being elder-led churches, they were led by men who met the qualifications as outlined in places like 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1. Now, I don't have the time to go through all those qualifications with you guys this morning, but you guys, a lot of you guys go to the University of Florida or have graduated from there or have a job that involves a lot more intelligence than what I have. So you can... 
feel free to go and read those verses later to understand what the qualifications of an elder look like. Uh, but the normal way from my understanding, from what we're seeing here with what Peter is saying, that churches were structured to be led by men who met these qualifications. And they oversaw these churches underneath, right, the leadership of Jesus and how he wanted to lead those churches. And I'm going to get to that more later. But what Peter is saying here in verse 5 is that the body of Christ should willingly subject themselves to the leadership of the elders of their local church. Now, guys, it was biblical, but it was also for their good, especially in seasons of suffering like these churches were walking, walking through. And it was to bring honor to God. Now, Anytime I'm preaching up here, you know, one of the, the things about my personality type is I tend to memorize my sermon for the most part before I ever get up here, so I'm almost always looking at you guys, and so I know some of you guys have taken public speaking classes, and you come up and ask me, like, Kevin, how do you do it, and whatever else, I'm like, I can't teach you some of it, it's just natural, I'm sorry, you know, like, I, when I'm doing my public speaking class, I can't stop looking at my notes, I'm like, I'm sorry, good luck, you know, I can't, I can't really teach you some of what, what I've been gifted to do, some of it I can, some of it I can't, be prepared as best you can, but as I'm sitting here talking through this, right, I love when I start saying something that I know you don't like, because I can see it on your face, right, and when I say something in scripture, right, where, that says, be subject to elders, I saw the look on some of your faces in the, in the crowd, you're like, I don't, I don't want to listen to you, what are you talking about, dude, you're like five, six, a buck fifty, what, what makes you think I want to follow you, like, I get it, I don't want to follow me sometimes either, right, like, I, like, I, like, I get it, Right? I, I, I get this kind of feeling that we have, right? And what I want to remind some of you guys, and we talked about this probably about two months ago, that we need to understand who we are just as a people, right? Especially those that grew up in America. Like, we love in this country to reject authority. We love it, right? Think about it. I told you guys my favorite commercial of all time, right? The Dodge Charger commercial, right? So it's the 4th of July, right? Derek's clapping over here, right? 4th of July, you see the British array and line up to fight the American Revolutionary War, and then you see some American patriots come over the hill, and then what comes? Right, the Dodge Charger, George Washington and a Dodge Charger with a flag. And it's ridiculous, right? But at the end of the commercial, right, what, it, what, what does the commercial say? There's a few things America got right, cars and freedom. Right, now, we, now, we can talk about the implications of that, but, but right, <laughs> Right, because we, we, we have skeletons in our closet as a country. On not, not everybody experienced freedom, right? We, but, but overall, that tends to be the narrative that we push, especially in classes, right? And when we get to this point, we see something like that, and I said, this country was built upon rebellion. Like, even my brother-in-law, who's British, every year, 4th of July, he sends me a message that says, Happy Independence Day, you ungrateful colonial. <laughs> every year, that's what, he, that's what he says to me. Right? Because it's this idea of, hey, look, man, our ancestors, we built this country on rebellion. Right? If you don't believe me, watch the news. What do we see all the time on the news? Protest. Protesting something. Right? I remember years ago, right, those Occupy Wall Street protests. Right? They, they took them aside. They, all these people are showing up to protest Wall Street. And then, you know, a news reporter will go and be like, so, like, what's the goal of your protest? We don't know, but we hate it. Okay? Right? We just have this natural tendency I think both spiritually because of original sin, but also exacerbated by the culture we've kind of been inundated with as Americans to just reject authority and not trust it and not submit to it and not believe that it's for our good and for, for everyone's good collectively. And so when we see a line like this in the scripture, we're like, whoa, hold up, man. Peter, that might have been good for you. I don't know if it's good for me in 2019. But if we understand, right, the context of what Peter is saying here is that godly leadership helps lead a church family that is suffering through that hardship and makes much of Jesus in the midst of it. That the church, the body of Christ, needs godly leadership to help it navigate seasons of suffering and trial and persecution. 
Let me, let me just give you guys an example. Like, here's, here's how, here, how many of you guys, right, because some of you guys, are, I, th- I think you still don't believe me. You're like, ah, you know, I don't think I'm that rebellious, or I, I don't think I hate authority. How many of you guys cheered for the Rams in the Super Bowl, just by show of hands? Okay, how many of you guys did not care about the Super Bowl at all? Okay, that's the other, the other half of you. Okay. Right? How many of you guys cheered for the Patriots? Two hands, three. Right, here, here's my illustration, right? The Patriots have owned the NFL for years. And so you just cheer against them because you hate that authority and that reign they've had. And for the rest of you that raised your hand that you didn't care, you hate that America loves football so much, and so you reject <laughs> that love of football. Right? That there is this consistency in us Right, to reject authority. But Peter is saying, look, and especially like younger believers, I love you guys, but you need to hear me on this. When you are looking for or investing in a local church to do life with and to make much of Jesus with together, don't look for fog machines. Don't look for flashy worship. Don't look for a great preacher. Look for godly leaders who will lead you to the cross. Who will point you to the better leader, Jesus. That's what you should look for. And when you find that, willingly submit yourself to their leadership, not just because scripture tells you to, but it's for the good of your soul and your growth in Christ. Now, he says, not only subject yourself, right, for us, all of us collectively in this room, to subject ourselves to the elders, but he also says this, right, to be humble. A church that shows humility to one another is a place where God can do great things, guys. A church that walks in humility is a place where the Spirit of God is going to move powerfully. Guys, can I just tell you something? Humi- humility leads to submission and growth. Right? I've been a believer long enough and been involved in the church long enough now to not just see that in Scripture, but to actually see that play out in the lives of men and women. That those that walk in humility tend to be the ones that I've seen get used the most by God. And, and I know over the years that we've seen uh, celebrity pastors kind of rise and fall. But I, I'll just say this. The ones that I know that have remained humble through much of that, God continues to exalt because they make much of him that's in his kingdom. And the ones that I've seen that struggle with this thing called humility and struggle with pride, I've seen them fall. Because, guys, let me tell you something. If you're in here this morning, like, I don't like this idea of submitting myself. I don't like this idea of being humble. L- let me tell you something about your king if you're a Christian. He does not share a throne with you. He's not interested in doing that, right? There's one throne, he sits upon it, and he's not sharing a side of the seat for Kevin, right? I try to stick myself up there all the time, and by God's grace, his spirit knocks me off again, right? But that the word of God says that we walk with humility for one another. And again, you know, Peter lists the young people here, and we got a lot of young people in this church, so I get to just preach freely this morning, to you guys, because even the text yells at you. (laughs) Joking, by the way, guys. But let me just say this, guys. I love some of you students. You got four, seven GPAs, perfect SAT scores. You can walk circles around me intelligence-wise. You can get into UF. But some of you, some of you guys, you walk into churches or you walk into your campus ministry and your campus ministry leaders or your church pastors are there for your good and they give you advice and and I just watch you. You reject it over and over again. And and let me just tell you something. I don't care if you can get into UF. If you can't get out of bed in time for class, you still got got a ways to go. You've got some growth to do. And God is calling you, right, to be humble and listen to the body of Christ around you so we might grow in godliness to learn how to make much of him. Right, and he quotes Proverbs 3, 4 there when he says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then this is the quote from Proverbs. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
God is gracious towards those who will humble himself. You guys, if you're prideful, guess what God says he is towards you? He's in opposition to you. Now, now I don't know about you guys. I'm not interested in being in opposition towards God. Jonah did that one time. Didn't really work out super well for him. Actually, it did. God, by his grace, saved him. But still. And so here we have, right, Peter saying to the church at large, hey, as you walk into these seasons of suffering, if you want to learn how we as a church family can suffer well, here's what we need to do. We need to trust our leadership and humble ourselves and submit ourselves to them. But We also need to humble ourselves towards one another. That humility and submission, right, will lead to growth and will lead to honoring of Jesus. Now, now, I said to you guys earlier, for those of you guys that are going to leave Gainesville eventually, that one of the things you need to think about is what that leadership should look like. And Peter spends the first four verses unpacking that, of what godly leadership in the church should look like. And this is certainly not exhaustive, but it's a good picture of what that leadership should look like. So let me read those four verses for you. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for, for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So I'm going to attempt to pull out uh, three, three truths I see about elders here in these four verses. And, and then after that, after I pull those, those three things out, uh, I want to break down three practical things that I think you should see out of your leaders in a, in a church, or a campus ministry for that matter, but things that you should see out of people that you're going to submit yourself to and follow, okay? So the first one is this, and, and I said this earlier, that, that the church is led by elders. And so you, you should be, a, 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 the, a truth that we should see in any biblical church is that it has elders as leaders, right? And I'm not going to go into full detail about that because we just talked about that, but this was a normative thing in the local church in the first century, it was the norm. And I know, so, I know all of us come from different backgrounds in here. Some of us, we come from backgrounds where we had bishops over us. Some of us come from backgrounds where we were congregationally led and we had to vote on whether or not we could buy a stapler for the office. Or, and, and some of us came from backgrounds where we were in a church that was led by elders. My background, we had a bishop, but then we also had these awesome things called committees. I, I don't know, right? But that's, that's what we did. But the biblical pattern that we see and the, the charge that we see throughout the scripture, not just in 1 Peter, but in multiple places, is that godly elders led the church. And Peter identifies himself as an elder, but also distinguishes himself right, as someone who witnessed Jesus' ministry and his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? So, so Peter says, look, as a fellow elder, elders, listen to me. L listen to me, elders. Right? In the midst of suffering, here's what you need to be doing. And the first thing you need to be doing as, as elders is leading. So if you guys show up at a church, you leave Gainesville, you show up at a church, you get there, and you realize the elders just kind of sit around and, not, and aren't doing anything, they're not following the biblical pattern. Right? They should be leading the church and taking them somewhere. Now the second thing he says th this in verse 2, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, now. Notice he doesn't call the elders pastors, he tells them to shepherd. Or this is where we get our word pastor from, he tells them to pastor the flock. The, guys, for, for those of you that don't know, I know some of you guys call me Pastor Kevin, Daniel was talking about this last week, that a lot of you guys call him Pastor Daniel. Uh, in scripture, the title pastor is only used one time. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says that God gives some to be pastors or shepherds, depending on what your translation says. But it's used multiple times, a total of 11, throughout the New Testament as a verb. 
where God is talking to leaders, and one of the charges to the leaders is that they would pastor or shepherd the flock. The Greek word there is originally this Greek word poimeno, right? And I want you to turn over to John chapter 21 with me real quick, because that's going to be one of the examples that we see. And coincidentally, this is Jesus himself talking to Peter, who also happens to be the author of the letter that we're reading right now. But this is Jesus towards the end of his earthly ministry, talking to Peter, and look at what he says, starting in verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. I'm going to keep reading through 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Right, there's this understanding right, that elders are called to feed and tend to the flock. And this means a number of different things, guys. This means the elders of a church are involved in pastoral care, such as counseling, praying for you, opening up the word of God and teaching you, right, weeping with you when you're mourning, celebrating with you when you have seasons of joy, but that godly elders and leaders pastor the flock. They care for them. This means that if your elders in a local church come to you and say they see something in you and see you heading in a direction that they see dangerous or harmful to your walk with the Lord, and they warn you to, to repent and correct, that you should take that warning seriously because they're trying to shepherd you and point you back to the chief shepherd, Jesus. Right, the same way that a shepherd would go after a sheep who had wandered off so that they stay with the flock, so a godly elder does the same with the flock of Jesus. And so you have Peter saying to the elders here, you should be leading, but you should also be shepherding. And then lastly, he's going to say this. He's going to call the elders to exercise oversight. Right? He says there in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And the Greek there literally means to look after, to care for, or quite literally, if you take it all the way back to its root, means to look carefully or be aware of everything. That elders should be aware of everything that is going on within the confines of the church. John Piper says this in regards to exercising oversight for elders, that they look out over the flock and God holds them accountable for seeing the big picture and acting for the good of the whole flock. This means that if there's one sheep roaming and walking off a hill and they run and try to stop it and some other sheep start to follow him, that if we can't get the one sheep to come back, we'll try to save the rest of the flock. That for the good of the church, sometimes pastors and elders have to make difficult decisions for the good and the soul care of the entire flock. But what this also means, guys, these three things that Peter lists here for elders is that elders have a different responsibility than the rest of the church when it comes to walking through suffering. While all of us are called to be faithful members of the church, using our gifts to the glory of God and making much of him, elders are called to see what is going on and lead God's people through difficult seasons. And all of this is in light of verse 4, where Peter says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Meaning that every church, if you've ever been a part of a church, and I love churches that kind of do this, if, how many of you guys have ever been a part of a business and they, they have a flow of leadership and the CEO's at the top and then kind of like works its way down? You know, ch as churches, we, you know, we sometimes love to, to steal those types of organizational ideas and whatever else. But churches, if, if, if you go to a church and you ask to see their org chart and a man is listed at the top of that org chart and not Jesus, you should ask them humbly to fix it. And if they don't, 
you should run. I don't care how good of a leader that person is. The leader of Aletheia Church, guys, is Jesus. This is his church. It's not mine. It's not Daniel's. It's not any of the elders here. Right? It's his church, and we are his family and his bride. And we seek to make much of him. And this means, then, that godly elders should be in step with Jesus' heart for his flock. That they care for them, that they shepherd them, that they lead them, and they exercise oversight. And guys, here's why all this, this matters. Because if you, if you are part of a local church, the leaders of that church should be doing these things. And they should be doing them not for the glory of the organization, not for their own glory, but they should be doing them for the glory of God. If a church does not have these things going on, and by the way, please do not come up here after service and tell me which churches in Gainesville don't do this. I don't need to know. Right? If, you're, if you're a member of another church and you're just here as a visitor this morning, here's what I would encourage you to do. Go back to that church and in humility, talk to the leaders of that church about what you see in 1 Peter chapter 5. In humility, ask why they're not in step with God's word. And in humility, ask them to adjust. And if there's no response, it may be wise for you to move on from that church. It may be wise for you, and guys, let me just tell you something. There are plenty of gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, elder-led churches here in Gainesville. Plenty of them. Right? This church has not cornered the market on that. But you should be looking to follow the biblical pattern for this because God has designed his church to function this way and we should honor that. And we know that we get many of you guys for a season and that you move on and you go do amazing things with your lives after this. These are the types of things you should be looking for in a local body when you leave Gainesville. Now, You'll also notice in those first four verses, though, that there are three ways elders are called to over, exercise oversight practically. And so we said that elders should be leading, elders should be shepherding, and they should be exercising oversight. Peter lists three ways practically that elders are supposed to be exercising that oversight. Now, before I talk about these three things, right, it's important to understand that one, yes, leaders of any church should be doing those things, but two, no one is perfect. Please allow for some grace. Like some of you guys are coming up afterwards like, Kevin, I've seen you. You don't always do that. Yes, amen, I hear you. Please forgive me, right? I'm working. Jesus is not done with me. He's not done with the other men who help lead this church. Please show me grace. Please call, feel free to call me out. Not saying don't call me out, but please allow for the spirit of God to be at work in me the same way that he's at work in you, Right? But allow for grace and with wisdom for the missteps of elders. And allow them to repent the same way that God in Christ allows you to repent and believe. And then as we see this, right, here are three ways that elders are called to exercise oversight practically. And you'll notice with every one of these, he lists a positive attribute and he lists a negative attribute. So here's the first one. Elders are called to exercise oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily. Does anybody find it strange that he lists that there? No one? Okay, I won't talk about it. We'll just move on. In all seriousness, though, like why? why? Why does he say, hey, elders, when you're exercising oversight, you should not be doing it under compulsion, but you should voluntarily be stepping up to lead and exercise oversight? Remember the context of 1 Peter. What's going on in these churches? Suffering, right? Persecution. Right, think about this for a second, guys. If a church faces a scandal or suffering, who often is the first to take the hit? The pastors or the elders, depending on what term they use to describe them. See, Peter knows that elders are particularly vulnerable to persecution and, on top of that, are also to be judged more harshly by God for the way in which they lead. I tell you guys this. Some, some of you guys have come to me and you'll, you'll say, why don't we do X, Y, Z? And I'll say, you know, we just don't really feel led by God to do that. And you'll push back. But if you look at Hebrews 13 with me, right? Guys, just remember, 
that any leader you have in the church, this is in the back of their mind, right? As they lead and they, they seek to make much of Jesus together with you, this is in the back of their mind, right? He says, the, the author of Hebrews says this in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here, here's what the author is saying there. When we die and we stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, and Jesus asks, hey, what happened at Aletheia Church in 2019? If you're not an elder here, you're not going to have to give an account for that. Guess who is? Me. So if one of you guys does something outrageous, Right, and it's not in step with the gospel, right? And we come to you, and, and we try to lead and, 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 and guide you through that, right? And in, at the same time, we're under pressure from city council, and we're under pressure, and we're being persecuted, right? Myself and the other elders of this church will stand before God and have to give an account to him as to why we did what we did. Guys, if that doesn't scare you, it should. Right? That keeps me up at night sometimes. Right, where I've given counsel to somebody, and I'm like, man, I, I need to call that person tomorrow. Because I, I, can't, I can't honestly stand before the Lord and say, you know what, Lloyd? I'm happy with the way that went. I'm going to have to give counsel to them. And so elders have this extra pressure where they're, where they're judged by God for the way in which they lead. And so Peter says here, look, if, 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 you, if some of you guys, especially some of you younger guys in here, I, I'm super excited that you feel called into ministry one day, and we want to fan that flame and encourage you. But guys, ministry's not just standing up and talking in front of people for a half an hour to 45 minutes. There's a lot more to it than that. And if that's your picture of what ministry looks like, is people just listening to you all the time, you need to go read this. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to discourage you or maybe not answer a call that God might genuinely be laying on your heart. But this is serious stuff. If you're interested in, in having a following, go start a YouTube channel. Come up with a TED Talk, I don't know. But if you want to pastor the flock, and lead people to holiness and a deeper relationship with God. You do so not under compulsion, but voluntarily, knowing you're the one stepping on landmines. You're the human shield sometimes. You take the bullet sometimes, and you do so for the good of the flock. Now, he also says this, that, that when we do that, that godly elders must lead from a deep conviction of God's calling on their lives even when things are hard so that they might point people to Jesus. Guys, seasons of suffering and trial sometimes for a church are good as we saw last week because they make us more like Jesus, but also what they do is they pull those out of leadership positions that shouldn't be there anymore. Because when things get hard, it's easy to want to step down when you find out who voluntarily wants to lead God's people. Now he also says this in verse 3, that elders exercise oversight not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I don't need to go into full detail about this, guys, but elders are not interested in money, vacation, pay, or retirement accounts. And I can wholeheartedly assure you at this church they are not. If you want to see my finances, ask my wife. Every other elder at this church is a lay elder who voluntarily gives up anywhere from 10 to 20 hours a week voluntarily to lead this church on top of their full-time job. Why? Because they love Jesus and they love you. So godly elders care for the souls of people over money. And I'm not going to name names, but not every church is like this. And if you find yourself at a church that talks more about money than they talk about the gospel, 
And if you're at a church where the pastor has a private jet, run. <laughs> Number three. In exercising oversight, elders are to do so not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's what you should look for. Does the elder seem to clearly just be seeking power and to use that power to influence people for their own glory? Or can you look at their lives, see that they love Jesus and want to follow their example? The best example an elder gives of following Jesus is how they live their life. And you can follow that. And guys, I'm telling you right now, feel free to test any of our elders here. I am confident in their ability and the way that they walk with Jesus. That they do these things. That they seek Jesus and his kingdom above their own. They seek your good and your soul above power and fame. That they seek to serve instead of receive. And they do so voluntarily, not under compulsion. And the question inevitably comes, because some of you guys, I know you're sitting there like, why would anybody agree to do that? Great question. Like, why would somebody willingly give up 15, 20 hours a week of their life on top of their full-time job that's 50 hours a week to serve Jesus in his church? Why would anyone do that? What, what empowers somebody to do this? Let me read verse 4 to you again. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Church, hear me when I say this. Your elders love you dearly and they love Jesus dearly. But they will be the first to admit to you that what empowers them to lead you in this church is not some great leadership book they wrote or read. Right, not some course in leadership that they took in college. It's Jesus' example and the Holy Spirit residing in them that allows them to do this. And guys, we as a church seek to walk humbly, right? to submit to one another, and to, to as leaders, lead you to Jesus. Not so that Aletheia is the biggest church or has the best music or the, or the best preaching or any of these things, but to seek to make much of Jesus because he is worthy, because he is the chief shepherd. And one day when he returns, we will sit before his feet and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. And for eternity, we will sing his praise. We will worship him. We will make much of him together. And as a church, we seek to submit ourselves to him, the chief shepherd. Why? Because he is enough. As if you leave with nothing else this morning, know this. Jesus is enough. He's better than your college degree. He's better than your marriage. He's better than your family. He's better than your house. He's better than your car. He's better than your clean bill of health. He's better than your cancer. He's better than your suffering. He's better than your family strife. Jesus is better. So guys, here's how I want us to close this morning. I'm gonna invite the band back up if somebody wants to turn on the lights for me. We're going to give you guys to a time to respond, just like we do every, every week here. And here's what I would ask you to do. Right, if, you are, if you are a member or you're a committed part of Aletheia Church here, here's what I would ask you to do. As the band kind of plays, before you come up and take communion, and as we say every week, communion at Aletheia, we do it every week because we want you to worship Jesus because that's what communion is for. Communion is not this act of penance or self-loathing. It's an act in a time where we come up and we recognize that the flesh and blood of Jesus was poured out for our sins so that the Father might forgive us. And we take communion joyfully, rejoicing in the fact that when Christ hung from the cross and was dead and buried, all of your sins were paid for. And we worship Jesus because he is our access to the Father. But before you come up and take communion, will you do something for me? Will you pray?
when you ask God to do two things. Because here's, here's what I believe. I believe this deep down in my heart right now, that God is doing something in our church, guys. I do. I believe that he's doing something in our lives. I think he's making us more like him. I think that he is giving us a deeper love for him and his word and for the gospel. And I believe that he is using us to share the good news with those who are far from him. I believe that. I see the way in which you guys talk about Jesus. I see the way in which you interact and love and serve others. And I see God doing this in our midst. And so will you pray for two things for me? One, will you pray that God will help you to grow and submit to the chief shepherd Jesus as our example? If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, it can be the first time you do that. You can sit there in your seat and you can ask God to reveal your sin before you and then repent of that sin and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and that he would be Lord of your life, that he will lead you and guide you the rest of your days. And the second thing, I'm going to ask this just personally. Will you pray for the elders of this church? Critique us. Anytime you want, we're open to critique, but will you also pray for us? Will you pray that we will follow God's design and example? We covet and need your prayers. Because I am not above seeking my own glory. I am not above seeking my own kingdom. If you don't believe me, talk to my wife. Jesus is better. Will you pray that the elders will experience daily the grace of God in their lives so we might lead you and together as a church in Gainesville, we will make much of him together. Not for the glory of our church, but for the glory of our King, whose name is forever to be praised, Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, will you meet us now? If there's sin in our lives, convict us and draw us to repent and trust in you. And for those of us that know you, let you lead our time of prayer and response so that it worships you. 